Are you sheltering in place, isolated, feeling alone? <coughs> well, then you're just like us. Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast stimulus package featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hello, dear listener. I'm Mark Hershon, your every other weekly host of this show, and happy to be back. Last week, co-host Tyson Saner was in the hot seat with Suckatash Shut-In Epi 240, favoring your pearly shell-like ears with clips from such audio wonderments as What Had Happened Was, Oprah's Masterclass, and the Al Franken Podcast. You can still catch that installment at our home site, SuckatashShow.com, as well as from Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, The Laughable App, iHeartRadio, and wherever else finer soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Just last week, the past two weeks actually, I was a guest on the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglin and Phil Lerness, a couple of longtime friends of Succotash, where, along with comedian and writer Suli McCullough, I participated in a comedy roundtable discussion. We talked about our comedy influences, the effect of the pandemic on live performance, and the creative process, and more. Check it out when you can at their home site, chillpackhollywood.com, or wherever you grab your favorite soundcasts. Back in July, I did an episode focusing on some soundcasts from Down Under that I called Doing It Down Under with Jason McNamara, and I tapped our old friend Jabs to find me a quartet of soundcasts from Australia and New Zealand. For this installment, Epi 241, entitled Crossing the Pond, I leaned on another friend of the show, George Grimwood, to load us up with a four-pack of shows from England, and he came through with flying colors. It's not like we don't occasionally feature British comedy soundcasts. We recently clipped From the Oast House with Alan Partridge and Strange Times with our friend Davian Dent. But on tap today, we've got four shows we've not featured before, including Looks Familiar, The Cheap Show, Rule of Three, and the Adam Buxton Podcast. This episode is sponsored, by the way, by Henderson's Pants, new camo pants. Let me wax on about George Grimwood for a moment. We met via the socials back in the early 20-teens and then crossed paths in real life at, I believe, the third Los Angeles Podcast Festival. You can hear a short chat I had with him while we were hovering in the lobby area back exactly 100 episodes ago in Succotash episode 141. George runs the Podnose Network that carries a number of soundcasts over in England, which he points out is the, quote, UK's leading independent entertainment podcast network, unquote, with thousands of hours of content and more on the way. He himself is rebooting the show he hosts called the Talk Show Talk Show, no relation to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, in which he analyzes classic and not-so-classic episodes of late-night talk shows, including Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, and more. So George not only suggested the shows we're clipping today, I actually harvested them myself, thank you, but gave me little blurbs about each show that's a tremendous help. Thank you, George. Without further ado, let's get into this collection of English clips. Do you think they call snippets crisps over there anyway our first show looks unfamiliar features journalist and writer tim worthington speaking with a guest about lost nostalgia aspects of pop culture that have been discarded and forgotten in time but often remembered fondly or with fear by our by the guest 
Our clip is from recent episode 73 with director Matt Lee, and they're talking about this service that used to exist called Dial-A-Song, where you could call a number on your phone and then hear new music played over the phone line. Okay, well, we're moving on now to a band who tried a slightly different kind of interactivity. We're going to introduce them with a clip that I remember actually watching go out. Not only that, I was that obsessed with this band, which we'll come back to in a minute, that I recorded this for many years. Afterwards, I had this on video, and I'm really pleased to be able to include it here. It's just a regular phone machine with songs of ours. Well, why did that start? Well, it initially started because uh, we had a series of accidents, John had his apartment broken into and his gear was stolen and I had broke my wrist in a bike accident so we couldn't perform and we had to get our music out to the people somehow. We believe you but we're going to demonstrate this right now because I have brought the little phone in so go on, do you want to dial All the number right. on there? Through the uh, magic of uh, cellular phones here now, this number is available in all your albums, Yes, it? it's the special secret buy the album and get the number free. Yes, exactly. I like it. Uh, okay, you press send there as well. Okay. Typical BBC, this is in my phone yep. they're using. Now, okay. that's being culturally suppressed by the BBC. Brooklyn's Ambassadors of Love, They Might Be Giants, performing my voice their very first song high. on their very first demo, Now That I Have Everything. Okay, that was They Might Be Giants, John and John, being interviewed on BBC One's The 815 from Manchester. Matt, why have I put that here? I remember this episode like you do. And I think what I remember the most about it was that there was this part where you could have, they have this thing called the dial song service, where you would call a number, overseas number, for sure in the United States, and you could hear one person at a time could be connected to this answer machine, and you could hear these very lo-fi renditions of their songs over the phone, which just seems like the most awesome thing in the world at the time I saw that go out in like 1990 I think it was. Yeah and it was pretty soon after they come to any kind of public attention at all really because they were very much sort of they were a band that I was aware existed not even John Peel played them really, Janice Long did and possibly Mark Goodyear when he started. Actually, they might have slightly predated the evening session. But Birdhouse and Your Soul seemed to come out of nowhere in the first couple right. of weeks of 1990. And it's interesting what then happened with them. Because I remember I heard that on, I can't even remember who played it, but I heard it on Radio 1 on a Saturday morning. And I went into town that day to buy it from our price. And I remember sitting in McDonald's afterwards, like looking at this record thinking oh i wonder what hot char the b-side sounds like <laughs> and there were actually some girls sat on the same table were saying what's that record and i said what it was one of them said how come i've never heard of them in the charts which is a fair question really but you no know, i got it home i loved it i thought hot char was a bit weird but i still quite liked it i then got flood the album which i loved but i immediately knew when i heard it that there was all this promotional weight behind them and it wasn't an album that was going to sell to the sort of people who like that one stray hit and that's been yeah. pretty much their career ever since I think a huge PR machine swinging in behind when they occasionally write something really chart friendly and the rest of it is just too weird for the general public well I mean Flood is their first album on a major label so they had yeah. two before that and then they have a couple of major label albums and then around 1996, 97 they kind of leave major labels again and go back to kind of independent stuff they are predominantly known I guess to the general public for a few songs Birdhouse and Your Soul being one of them. Boss of Me, which uses the theme tune to Malcolm in the Middle. A couple of videos were made by the guys who did Tiny Toon Adventures. And they did a couple of videos to uh, Particle Man 
and I forget the other one, but there's a couple of like tiny tunes videos that were like the cool thing about those those guys is they've never really stopped doing anything. They're still doing stuff now, and they've kind of fallen into a nice format, I think, where they kind of produce a kids album and then an adult album, and then they tour and then they release some bits online, and they kind of repeat that cycle over and over again. That dialer song thing is what really caught me. The catchphrase was "free when you call from work," which is uh, <laughs> certainly John Flansburg has a very like anti-work, anti-boss kind of theme for a lot of their songs. Minimum wage is on that on that album. I mean, it's like a sound of a whip being cracked, you know. And so yeah, it's telling, I guess, that the uh, "it's free when you call from work" is a pretty cool slogan, though I have to say. Well, minimum wage is one of the two things I've always used when you know if you let's say a boring business function or something feeling a bit out of place and you're thinking is anyone here in my wavelength one of the things is to shout never ever and see if somebody says bloody anything ever the other is to shout minimum wage and see if somebody says yeehaw looks unfamiliar is just one of the shows george carries on his Podnose network and you can grab it from most of the internet soundcast purveyors as well the Cheap Show is a soundcast featuring Paul Gannon and Eli Silverman searching for bizarre treasures one might find in the Poundlands, which is a chain of British variety stores. I think it must be sort of like our dollar stores here in the U.S., as well as bargain bins and charity shops, often culminating in some very unusual discoveries and hilarious segments. Our clip has the two lads reading a submission from a listener about a very strange find. Spoiler alert, it's a turd. One morning, about 8am, we all turned up for work, ready to move the delivery out the back and start unpacking it. Right. However, upon opening the door into the shop, we were not only greeted by about seven cages of stock, but also the overwhelming stench of human waste. Oh dear, hang on. Wait, the shop's closed up? Yeah. But there's a smell of shit? Well, they they delivered. They delivered shit? Well, we don't know, but the right. smell of it is there, along with the cages full of stock. Right. It didn't take us long to find the source of the odour. Underneath the sports bag display, which was by the front doors, we found a T-shirt lying on the floor, all rolled up. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> okay, so they've come in, there are boxes, the smell of it, shit. And, and they, found, they followed their nose. <laughs> like, like, like sniffer dogs. Well, you a, would, if it's really rolled, bad. To a rolled yeah. T-shirt. It's like a nightmare, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It really is like a nightmare. It's like the ending of Seven, but with yeah. a shit in a T-shirt. <laughs> What's in the T-shirt? What's in the T-shirt? <laughs> okay. This was weird, as yeah. the shop was tidied the night before, as always, and anything found on the floor was hung back up where it belonged. Right. So they, they okay. tidy up, yeah. As one of my colleagues stupidly picked up the shirt, it unrolled, and out fell a solid and slightly crusty shit. Oh, God! <laughs> That's good, better than, you know, <laughs> diarrhoea. What, what, like the slurry? <laughs> you know, you can imagine it unrolling it, and like, if there was wet enough, it would flick off towards oh. people, wouldn't it? Oh, it's it? like that scene from Trainspotting. Do you know what I mean? Oh. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so Instead, like, it kind of rolled out in a presentable I, manner. I take it all back, Stuart. I love the build-up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like it was quite surprising that yeah. it was like slightly crusty and in one mm. bit. Which means, you know, solid diet. This beast must have been a good eight to ten inches in <laughs> length. <laughs> looks like, it looks like a big fucking old-fashioned rolling pin. It seems the delivery driver had taken short been taken short i like that expression it seems the delivery driver had been taken short during the delivery and left us with an extra item there must have been other ways to get rid of a shit because your job's on the line how are you going to get away Why with not that just take you in a van or whatever just oh it's one of their t-shirts he didn't want to steal the t-shirt that's the thing yeah but instead he left his shit in the shop yeah but it's that's not worse it's, it's worse i know i know it's worse paul but 
If someone know. steals a T-shirt, there are, there are numerous you know, suspects because who works there, who comes in and out. They'd if know. you are a delivery driver and you take a shit on in the shop, roll it up and hide it, everyone knows it's you. <laughs> That's the thing. He can't everyone have been, knows it's you. He can't have been very happy with his job if he did that. He could have, why didn't he go to a, like a toilet or why didn't he get, I don't know, like and, an empty carton of yes. milk and try and, you know, just And you know what's it helping it? your argument here, what? Paul, is the fact that it was crusty and so, solid because that... That would, um, you know, you usually have more control over those big, hard, hard babies. Do yeah. you know what I mean? The thing you is, know? I'm trying to imagine... You can hold that in. They get a lot of purchase when you go for the double, yeah, the double you get, sucker. You can get ba- spasms from that. Have you ever had those arse spasms? No. I've but... had it sometimes where you just... Ah, yeah! Like that. <laughs> it just... it, if it had been a load of messy liquid, yeah. yeah, then you can sort of think, well, he was unwell. Do you see what I mean? He was sick. There's, yeah, but it, you, you know, still take the T-shirt with you, right? You'd still you're stealing not leave it on the then shop. Then you're stealing. But again, if you steal a T-shirt... What's a at... worse crime in the eyes of the law, Paul? Lord. In the <laughs> eyes, <laughs> no, in the eyes of law, the law. Probably shitting on a t- shitting Stealing in... a T-shirt from your place of work. Yeah, but here's what I'm saying. If you stole the T-shirt... You could get away sudden, with that There's as more well. chance of you getting away with it than leaving the evidence. It sounds to me like a dirty protest. It was like a, a you know... Yeah. A resignation letter in the form of a T-shirt with a turd in the middle. Good diction. <laughs> uh, so that's from Stuart. Is that the whole letter? Stuart Moulding. You can use my name, I don't mind, he says. Good, because we've said Thank it a few you, times. Thank you, Stuart. And he says we've got a good podcast and stuff. Thank you very much for that. Um, I have questions still. Why? Like, what's the thought process? You're the delivery it's driver. It's perfectly straightforward. You could have done it in the street. You've been driving. You've been driving from Swanage, you know, all night or whatever. Yeah, but you're a delivery driver. This is par for the course. This is like You didn't know. Of- it sounds like he has some kind of unique bowel flora where it just is like nothing, 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 nothing. Now I need to take an eight to ten incher. Now I need to do a big crusty eight to ten incher. Yeah, you can't foresee the length of one of those beasts. You can only pray it doesn't last as well, long. Well, it's eight to ten inch. It's like poking out his mouth, isn't it? The eight other to ten inches, what? Like about that? You never know what you're going to find when you go hunting for bargains, do you? In England, it's apparently not a pastime for the meek. <laughs> Check out more cheap show at your leisure. We're going to take a break right now for an advertisement from our longtime sponsor, Henderson's Pants. Holy Hannah, it is hot out there this summer, friends. Bill Haywatt here with welcome relief from Henderson's Pants so that you can beat the heat in style. I'm talking about their new camo cutoffs, the ragged edge shorts with a touch of desert machismo that's guaranteed to let a little cooling breeze in to where the sun don't shine. These aren't merely cheapo patterned knockoffs we're talking about. Every pair of Henderson's camo cutoffs is repurposed from genuine U.S. Army issue desert camouflage military big boy pants from a shipment that fell off the truck on their way to the Middle East. So some of our boys being out of uniform has turned into your good fortune. Once Henderson's pants got their mitts on these pants, they called in some paramilitary advisors, gave the entire shipment a thorough blackwater rinse, and started snipping away. Henderson's has donated all of those cut-off pants legs to the sleeves for the Homeless Foundation, so that you, you lucky duck, <laughs> can snap up Henderson's camo cut-offs for a veritable song. 
Originally designed for the French Foreign Legion, Steam Fitters Union Local 23 and Staff Sergeant Daisy Dukes, Henderson's camo cutoffs can be found hanging on cyclone fences around military bases anywhere U.S. servicemen are bivouacked. <laughs> With an emphasis on the whacked. That's Henderson's, maker of Shorty McShort shorts since 1993. And now, despite all efforts to the contrary, we return you to Suckatash. Thank you, Bill Haywatt, and welcome back. This next soundcast, Rule of Three, was the winner of the Best Arts and Culture Division at last year's British Podcast Awards, and then promptly went on hiatus. <laughs> but comedy writers Jason Hazley and Joel Morris are coming back for more, according to our man George. And good thing, too, this is a super show. The hosts talk to comedians about something funny that they love. Guests pick whatever it is that makes them laugh. A book, a film, a TV show, a comic, a radio show, anything. And then the hosts and the guest dig in deep. Our clip features a guest that I wish was a friend of Succotash, Eddie Izzard. He's funny and smart, and the thing he picked to highlight on the show was John Lithgow, specifically from his appearance on TV's Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> Right. I, I'm just going to talk about John Lithgow because, well, there's another thing. Yeah. Because this is central. They built it for him. They built Third Rock from the Sun for John Lithgow. And I, when I was seven, I wanted to act. And then I was not, I, I liked comedy. I didn't know you could specialize in that. Then I thought, I, as time went on, I wasn't getting any roles. And I discovered Python. I thought, well, let's forget, you know, and puberty. And I just thought, I'm not playing football anymore because I'm in the wrong school that doesn't play it. So. Um, I'm not being invited to the party, and I'm not the tall, handsome guy. Because I am, a, you know, if you might think I'm transgender, but I'm a wannabe lesbian. So I was still fancying girls, but it just wasn't <laughs> working. And so I thought, I'll just do comedy. I won't do drama. But drama was my first love. And um, uh, But I noticed, I thought, well, can I do drama? Because in 1993, I got a separate dramatic agent. So I have a comedy agent and a dramatic agent. Oh, and, wow. and Yeah, so I separated this out and said, I'm only going for dramas. But I, I worked out that if you get really hit in comedy, because I was trying to hold back, my comedy career was taking off like this rocket. And I was saying, all right, suppress the rocket, slow it down. So it can come down from, you know, Mach 3 to Mach 2, yeah. Mach 1, you know. <laughs> just, get it, just get it bubbling up, bubbling up, yeah, simmering up. But then let's get the drama going. And I was going to bring up this second thing, which doesn't doesn't really fit together, drama or comedy. And I noticed that if you really hit in comedy, people are very reluctant to you to go over to drama. But yeah. if you hit in drama first, John Lithgow, and then you do comedy, you say, wow, sense of humor, Gene Hackman in yeah. Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Wow, he's really funny. And, and, and I think that's the only funny thing I thought seen Gene Hackman do. But it was really funny when he was the, old was the blind, blind man. Guy. Yeah. yeah. So, and he does it again in Tenenbaums, and everyone's oh, forgotten yes, he he's brilliant. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. So uh, that was part of my thinking, and then John Lithgow proved it. As many intelligent people know, aliens are all around us. This is the story of a band of four such explorers. In order to blend in, they have assumed human form. This is the High Commander. He has assembled an elite team of experts, a decorated military officer, a seasoned intelligence specialist, and, well, they had an extra seat. I mean, he's hysterically funny. It is weird that they built it for him. I'm not sure what they must have seen him do beforehand. But he is so real in his drama, because the, the essence of, of both of them is, because I've compared them both now, and the essence of good drama is to be truthful. Uh, the, the, the first rule of, of drama is to be truthful, and the first rule of comedy is to be funny. And you can actually be untruthful. You can actually break character. You can make, you can pull a funny face and a weird thing. You can do something against character and still get the laughs. 
but in in drama, always be truthful, and you're not allowed to laugh, to get tears, to get anything if you're not locked into that character. Um, but he came from one and did the other and has gone back to the drama. I'm not sure if he's doing, they're giving him comedies now, but it's he's just... Got a, he's got a theatrical background. He, he, yeah. He's got the, the bearing of... And a of, film background, a huge film background. Uh, but he's got the bearing of like a big actor, like a serious... Yeah. The way that sort of the, the, the theatrical knights have over here, the McKellens yeah. and the Stewarts and things. And he's got this thing and they put him into... He was offered Frasier, I think, originally in Cheers. Right. And turned it? it down. Yeah. Actually, I don't want to do a comedy. And then having missed out on it, and probably I imagine having seen Cheers and gone, oh, this is a very, very good blue chip, nice comedy. And no, I don't think it was. It well, I don't know. wanted they to come into... They tricked comedy. him. They said, we're going to build this round you. <laughs> maybe just maybe playing They to tricked him into a meeting. You can really? get it. If you go online and saying, but it's John Lithgow <laughs> tricked in meeting into doing Third Rock for the Sun. I never wanted to do a, a, an episodic sitcom. Bonnie and Terry Turner, this husband and wife comedy writing team who uh, created Third Rock, they had been on the writing staff of Saturday Night Live two of the three times I was a guest host in the 1980s. So they wrote comic review material that I performed, and they saw me as a comic, and they became very good friends. My agent called me one day and said, your friends from New York, Bonnie and Terry Turner, want to have breakfast with you. And I thought, great, I'd love to see them. So I went off thinking this was a social engagement. And there were Bonnie and Terry and Carsey and Werner and Karen Mandebach, all these big shot Hollywood television producers at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. And I thought, oh my God, I've been ambushed. (laughs) This is a pitch. He's just, he is sublime in it. It is amazing. You'd think there'd be a few episodes or there'd be a few certain amounts of inventiveness. And I don't know if it was all scripted. I assume that, I feel that about half of it or a third of it is coming out of him and you know, <laughs> a deal of it is scripted. But they also write, to, I know that. They write to his strengths. They write to his strengths. But he could just do anything. Oh, I got you a birthday card. <laughs> Happy birthday. You look like a million dollars. Oh. Old and wrinkled. (laughs) What kind of a cruel hoax is this? Uh, It's a Hallmark card. A Hallmark of degradation? (laughs) First line lulled me into a false sense of security. And the second line ripped out my heart and slapped me across the face with it, awakening me to harsh reality. I love everything about this show. The conversation, the clips, the guests. Check out the several seasons of Rule of Three when you get a chance. And wait with bated breath along with me for the host's to come back from hiatus. The last clip for our episode comes from the Adam Buxton show, which is an interview show or a chat show. As they say across the Atlantic, Adam was originally part of Adam and Joe, a thoroughly enjoyable cult television series. He did with Joe Cornish. They then became radio personas. And while Joe has been busy directing films, Adam has been podcasting and writing too. He just recently released a memoir entitled ramble book. Our last clip features Adam's ramble with Canadian comedian Tony Law, where they share their experiences of being a stranger in a strange land, Disneyland. (laughs) Did you like Disneyland? How old were you when you first went to Disneyland, when you went on that 20,000 Leagues ride? Uh, Eight. Oh, perfect, perfect. Mm. So did it seem amazing and magical to you, the whole place? Yeah, it seemed pretty... Everything was amazing, yeah. And I wasn't old enough to go on Space Mountain yet. Oh, yeah. That left me thinking, wow, there's more? We're farm people. I grew up on a farm, so it was the first time I ever got lost from my parents. 
I, I hadn't seen them for hours, but I didn't care because, you know, it was eight. It was like having a great time. But I'd lost them for a couple hours and it was dark. So I just took myself off to the Hall of Presidents and just <laughs> and sat in there. And that's where my brother found me. He said, oh, I figured you'd be in here. What was it like? Me and my sister used to, I should say that we were lucky enough to go to Disneyland many times when we were young because my dad was a travel journalist and he loved America and um, he would take us to the States with him and we would always end our trips around the States by going to California, which was where my aunt and mm. uncle lived. And so we'd go to Disneyland and it was just, we absolutely loved it. It was like being in a film. You know, this was in in the 70s when life in the UK was just impenetrably grey and boring and <laughs> everything shut down on Sundays and it was just so turgid and dull. And as far as I was concerned, the most wonderful thing you could be was American. I mean, for, for a young person listening now, they might think, like, what? But oh, yeah, back in those days, back in those English days, people loved America. America was just great and Americans were so cool and funny <laughs> and and it was like permanent sunshine and the way they spoke was so... It was like being in a movie, you know. And so me and my sister were obsessed with Disneyland and we had a poster, a big map of the whole park. And we put it up on our bedroom wall at home and we'd go through and we would study each ride. They were all numbered and mm. listed at the bottom of the poster. And we'd tick all the ones that we'd been on and uh -huh. we'd circle the ones that we wanted to go on. But the one that we never, ever even thought about looking at was the hall of presidents what was the hall of presidents <laughs> really? yeah that, that's how they get out their propaganda i guess you, you go sit in there and a, one president animatronic president gets <laughs> an animatronic president gets up and he does one of the speeches he's famous for and then another one gets up it's all capped off with uh, a rousing speech from uh, abe lincoln okay for score, but they they didn't go with the Daniel Day Lewis. You know, he made him real high pitched. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> but it, no, they went with the deep one. Four score, and yeah, I just loved all that. I was into history back then. Uh -huh. I used to watch cartoons before school. It was probably the same in England. We had two channels, and every morning at about six a.m., Professor Kitzel came on. That was about time travel, and then the next cartoon um, was Max the two thousand year old mouse. So that just hooked me in right from early doors it sounds like we're just making up tv shows yeah. <laughs> and we had and we had no books in our house like none except for we had the 1967 encyclopedia britannica uh -huh. collection a through z we had them all we even had some extras on there so i used to pull those out because i like the smell of them and i'd get them out smell them for a while and then just dive in so i have a pretty good Knowledge of history right up to 1967 that I've carried <laughs> with me. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've changed a few views since then. But yeah, so that was what I was into. And then when I went to the Hall of Presidents, that was my kind of place. As my brother finally clicked. Oh, yeah. He'll be in there doing all the talking book stuff. The Adam Buxton Show is another one I'm going to add to my regular rotation. Very engaging. You can source episodes from adam-buxton.co-uk slash podcasts or just sift through the content of your regular podcast providers. It's probably there. All right, that's a wrap on our listen to a few shows from across the pond. 
I realize that some of those accents from the British Isles might be a bit thick for some of our U.S. listeners, so I'll advise you to do what I do. Listen again. It's the King's English people. You're bound to pick it up. Thanks once again to George Grimwood of the Podnose Network for pointing out the shows we featured today. If you want to reach out to him, you can email him at podnose at gmail.com. He tells me that they are looking to expand beyond the UK content next year, so who knows? Maybe Succotash can finally get our network stripes. I would love to authentically be able to say, we're getting the sign from the network to wrap it up. Until then, we're just going to have to wrap it up ourselves. Remember that Tyson will be here next week with another bouquet of Soundcast clips for you. And I'll be back the week after with something nice for your ears. Until that time, stay safe, keep warm, wear a mask, wash your hands. And if anyone asks if you heard anything good lately, won't you please pass the Succotash? You've been listening to Succotash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckAttackShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on the <laughs> laughable app, and tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. Email us at T-Y-S-O-N at SuckAttackShow.com. Or call into the Suck Attach Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the succotash. Goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production. <laughs>